Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So it's my responsibility to introduce my, my guest every Wednesday on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Uh, but with this one, I feel the urge to defer, Henny. Because I have the human icebreaker here, the first voice heard in discussions had inside dressing rooms and media rooms with the Toronto Maple Leafs for over a quarter century, legendary Maple Leafs reporter and host of the First Question podcast, Mr. Paul Henrik. Henny, how are you? How's the family? How's everything going? We're all good. Uh, thanks, Justin. And thanks for that very kind introduction. Uh, it's it's humiliating. Uh, I was uh, humbled to, to, to hear all of that. But um, you know what? The opportunity to get longevity in this business, uh, uh, given what's happened, not only this year, but every other year, it seems around this time of the year when some really good people lose their jobs. I'm just so fortunate to have lasted as long as I did doing what I got to do. And uh, um, you know what, enjoying retirement right now, I, I haven't missed a second of Leaf Hockey, a thoroughly entertaining team to watch. And I've got this podcast going on. And as you know, you just don't settle into one of these without doing some work. Um, that's kept me very, very much involved. And I just said to someone the other day, they said, why the podcast? And, and, and I just said, well, it's hard to leave the business in its entirely immediately. Uh, a mailman does go for a walk maybe the day <laughs> after his last shift, right? Um, so yeah. same with this thing. Uh, as you mentioned, very, very different season in front of Maple Leafs hockey for you. And, and I definitely want to get your perspective on this year's mm -hmm. team, growth of the young guys, the new additions. But I do want to leave the spotlight on you for a little bit. Some Henny history to start, if you will. Uh, and I want to start way back at the beginning. Let's call it 1967. How old was Paul Hendrick at that time? What made you tick at that time? And what did the Toronto Maple Leafs mean to you back then? They meant everything. I was 10 years old when the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. I was growing up in Naranda, Quebec. Uh, Kent Douglas was from... Naranda, uh, although he didn't get a ring uh, that year because Punch Imlach left him off the roster for one game needed. He played 39 games instead of the mandatory 40, uh, and Kent was bitter for that forever. But Dave Keon hails from there. Uh, Dave's parents were members of our, our parish at Blessed Sacrament. I was an altar boy. I served Monday to Friday at 8 a.m. Mass every day and then went to school. His mom and dad were one of two couples in the church at that point in time. And uh, you get to know the family a little bit. They lived on Murdoch Avenue. The duplex is still there. Um, and, and to think of a family that big living in, I think it was a two-bedroom duplex. Uh, Dave Sr. and uh, Dave's mother did a great job of bringing up uh, Jimmy and you know his sister and, and, and the whole family before Davey eventually peeled off uh, to go to St. Michael's and and uh, you know the rest of his career, of course, uh, is history. But uh, I was a big Leaf fan, and I got an idea of what it was like in '66 watching Roger Crozier win the Conn Smythe in a losing effort for Detroit against the Montreal Canadiens, um, just to watch hockey on on a black and white television set. And then the next year to see the Leafs get rolling. 
I was locked in. And even better than all of this, Justin, I'm going to make a long, long story short. Um, one of my sisters, Susan, her best friend, Christine Hellman, well, Christine's aunt was married to Dave, Dave's first wife. And uh, uh, Dave was coming over to visit the Hillmans and Huguette, Christine's mom called my mom to say, tell Paul to get over here. They live diagonally across from us on Gatineau Avenue up in Miranda. Dave's coming over. It's like 10 days after he won the Conn Smythe uh, and of course the championship. And I was over there and Dave comes around the side of this duplex, sees me. He couldn't have been more gracious. I had that autograph black and white picture for forever uh, until it disintegrated uh, somewhere into my fourth year of university. And um, it's a moment I'll never forget and then get a chance to work for the team and get to know Dave and, and go over all those times. Uh, um, it's just an honor. So it goes back to Naranda, Quebec, 1967, getting um, borrowing my parents 14 inch black and white Viking TV and them letting me up all night, like watch the entire games at the age of 10. And that third game in Toronto, I went to double overtime, Bobby Pulford scoring. I'll never forget it. I, I, I got to bed late for a 10 year old. I got to bed very late. <laughs> uh, so uh, growing up in Quebec, uh, were, were everyone Leaf fans in the area where you at? And is, was that because of the proximity to to Dave or or was this just, uh, you know, what your family had selected for in terms of fandom? It's just what I, in Rouen, Naranda, it was a microcosm of what hockey was in Canada back then. You either cheered for Montreal or you cheered for Toronto. Noranda, predominantly English. Rouen, predominantly French. Um, you had English people cheering for the Montreal Canadiens. My best friend, Ted Brewer, his dad was from Montreal. He was a diehard and still is a Montreal Canadian fan. Um, maybe that was one of the reasons I picked the other side. But it, it, it was just one or the other. You picked one of the two teams. It was really simple back then. Uh, and, and that's what it came down to. Uh, you know, we had Dale Talon playing hockey and all, you know, Jacques Laperriere. I mean, I can list a whole bunch of, of NHL players, Rajon Houle, who all went on to play for the Montreal Canadiens. The Rouen Citadels were the juvenile team in, in Rouen. We had the Noranda Copper Kings. Stan Talon, the coach, Dale Talon, their main star. Those Sunday afternoon um, juvenile games at the Noranda Rec Center or the Ruan Forum were just outstanding to get to. Pauline Bordlow, who was a big star and a Memorial Cup winner with the, uh, with the Toronto Marlies, won one with the Montreal Junior Canadiens as well, but he was from there and just a little bit older than I was. So uh, there were enough hockey players around the area to, to say, hey, I'm a fan of this team or I'm a fan of that team. But it was pretty much split down the middle of that community and population then around 35,000 people. So I think we identified your fondest Leafs uh, childhood memory, mm -hmm. but maybe there's one, uh, and I was going to ask you about that, but maybe there is one from the seats in Maple Leaf Gardens. Do you have a moment that stuck out from you and your more formidable years uh, of being inside that arena? Yeah, I think the first game I ever went to, and I was in November of 1972, and I was running cross country, um, high school cross country, and, and, and cracked the top five uh, for the midget team, and uh, was on the, on the team that was competing at Jack Darling Park in Mississauga. And ironically, a year later, we ended up moving to that area, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, my late uncle Alan, who was a uh, mining executive, uh, got myself and one of my teammates 
tickets to the game. And they were literally second row blues, which would have been uh, in the last era of Maple Leaf Gardens. You had golds, then you had reds. So the blues would have been the reds. So they were outstanding seats. Minnesota versus Toronto. Jacques Plante nets for Toronto. Cesar Maniago nets for the Minnesota North Stars. And Bernie Perrant, Toronto's backup goaltender uh, on the bench for the Maple Leafs. And I think Mike Nikolak was the head coach. I just had Jim McKenney on a couple of weeks ago on my podcast. And you never, he was in that game. It ended up in a 3-3 draw. But you never forget walking into that building, just the brightness of the lights and something that you've grown up on for the better part of your life, watching in black and white to come in and see that live event. Justin, you never forget it. And even the million times that we get to sit uh, in the press box or in my days hosting for the networks, you know, at ringside or between the benches, that first time will always be special. And it's, it remains unique. No matter what game you're at, it always remains unique. But the first time for me, November of 72, that was the best. A few years later, you became closer, at least by proximity, to the Maple Leafs when you enrolled at the University of Toronto. You mentioned you did move to Ontario before that, yeah. uh, you, but you went to school in the mid to late 1970s. I'm curious what or how the Leafs fit into the university experience back then for the average mm -hmm. university student. But I wonder how that might have deepened your fandom or deepened your interest in the team and, and what it was like back what it was like back then if you were able to get into Maple Leaf Gardens then and, and just what that experience was like. Uh, I remember my 18th birthday, which meant I was a legitimate drinker in Ontario. <laughs> my parents were always very liberal. And as, I, as my wife and I were with our kids, if you're going to party, we want you partying under our roof. So what this is all leading to, when I turned 18, I went to see the Vancouver Canucks and the Leafs play. Dunk Wilson and Nets for, for Vancouver. They beat Toronto that night. But I had no need to go out and party and, and binge and do what, you know, that new sense of freedom might have provided me. I, I went to a Leaf game. Um, but to get back to your question regarding the university years, when I was at U of T in their Arendelle campus, now called UTM Mississauga, um, the entire Leaf team lived in our neighborhood in, in Lorne Park, uh, Sittler on Birchwood. Um, we had uh, Ian Turnbull and Medallion, uh, Boria Salming and Caldwell. I mean, I can go and list all the streets. Um, Tommy Hunter, the former country musician, was on Spring Hill Drive. And across the street from him was Lanny McDonald until Punch traded him three weeks after they had bought the house and shipped him to Colorado. So you would go shopping at uh, AMP is what it was called. And it's now Bataglia's on Lorne Park Road or, or Dominion. And you'd run into Wendy Sittler, um, Billy Derlego's wife and kids. They It was commonplace. And uh, talking with Ian Turnbull, his podcast is going to drop... Uh, Tomorrow uh, on, on the first question, and we, we look back to the guys picking each other up. Ian would pick up Daryl. They were all five minutes apart. And then you'd pick up Lanny, and then you'd go pick up Boria, gas up at the Shell service station on the South Service Road at Mississauga Road, and then head in. Um, and so for the people who were pumping gas at these places or, or just along the way, it was, it was nothing to see a Maple Leaf. In fact, it became quite commonplace. Um, and then eventually, the Leafs all sort of moved downtown, and that's, that's where it's at right now. That group was a little bit older. A lot of them married with kids. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if we'll see a move back to the burbs for any of these guys, but 
at that point in time in the mid to late 70s, they all lived in Lauren Park, Mississauga. Your next move after university was uh, going up north to Sault Ste. Marie to work in radio and television. Uh, I'm curious what your first responsibilities in the business were and what the ideal was for you back then. You're, you're, you mentioned all this experience, you know, being close to these players. Is that what sort of drove you to wanting to be a part of radio, radio and television? And, and what were you aspiring to be at that time? You know what? First of all, Justin, just to get a job. So I, I sent out tapes to about 40 TV stations. Uh, there used to be a, a business magazine called The Broadcaster. And once a year, it would put out all the names and addresses of all the stations in Canada, their news directors and sports directors. And I literally just sent out 40 to 45 letters, hoping that something might stick to the wall. Um, eventually, it did. Uh, I got an interview with uh, a radio station in Espanola. That afternoon, I get an, an invite from Sue St. Marie, who owns the Espanola station, but the Sue is radio, uh, radio and television. So I told the Espanola people, I'm going to fly up to the Sioux, see if I can get the job there. And if not, I am going to head over to your neck of the woods. Um, as it turned out, I got the job in the Sioux, uh, but I had to wait it out in news for a year. And that meant Monday nights. Uh, city council, Tuesday night, school board, Wednesday nights, public utility commission, Thursday, Friday off, and then weekends um, doing radio and anchoring their uh, news on Saturday and Sunday. That was my shift. And of course, the first couple of years, you're working Christmas Eve and Christmas Day because you're low man on the totem pole. So I didn't, I didn't get to go home. It was okay. Um, and then uh, the opening came up into, into sports a year later and Terry Crisp as the head coach. We've got Ron Francis, John Van Beesbrook, Doug Shedden, um, John Goodwin, uh, who is, you know, Sean McKenzie's uncle. Um, John's sister is married to Bob McKenzie. We were all up there at the same time. The Sioux had gone from a last place team to one of the preeminent teams in the nation, thanks to general manager Sam McMaster, who had come up from the Toronto area, knew the talent level down here so well, and that team just vaulted immediately. So that was a lot of fun. And and I know uh, I was there for a, well, it was two years and three months, and I was at a friend's wedding, and I had to drop off some tuxedos at his place. And his father said, so are you comfortable up there? And I said, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. He said, you're comfortable? And I said, yeah. He said, time to get out. And I ended up firing off tapes to Windsor, London, Hamilton, Peterborough City TV in Toronto. Um, um, Peter Gross interviewed me. And in Ottawa, and the late Brian Smith interviewed me there as well. And he said, I'd, I talked to you yesterday. You'd have had this job, but I talked to this other Ryerson grad. And I think I've kind of promised it to him. Your qualifications are equal. Um, and what's his name? David Segan, I think. He's, he's with CBC Ottawa. He's still working. And we, we have a laugh every now and then, especially when I travel to Ottawa. So that was, that was in a nutshell, two years, three months, Sault Ste. Marie, Sioux, Michigan. We had a lot of fun on the other side and uh, got to cover some pretty good hockey after a year in news. And after the year in news, which was great training, I couldn't wait to get into sports and to cover Greyhound practices and uh, high school football and all that Sault Ste. Marie has to offer um, because there's quite a bit and great Italian food as well. So uh, it was a time I looked fondly on and that led to my eventual job of getting down to Hamilton and working for um, a legend in, in Dick Beddoes and that was December of 81. So my God, it seems like it was yesterday, but it was so long ago. You weren't even on the map back then. 
So it was you that started that connection between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Sioux Greyhounds. Yeah. The, uh, you know what? The... I could probably say it because Dubes, <laughs> I don't even know, but Dubes was around. I do realize when I was up there, we used to, one of the great peewee teams, the uh, um, Sioux Legion, they, they had a defense tandem of Paul Maurice and Rob Zettler. Rob Zettler was uh, touted as the next Larry Robinson, but those were two of the big stars up there. And of course, Ronnie Francis coming along as well. There were a lot of good hockey players to come out of that area. And uh, the, the Zook family, Mike Zook, who played for the St. Louis Blues, his dad had a, a famous backyard rink. It, it was legendary. I mean, historic. This rink should be in the Hall of Fame right now. A number of kids who skated on that rink and went on. A very humble family dwelling. All of that in that backyard was nothing but sticks, skates, pucks, and the ambience that, that comes from such all through the winter. Uh, and that's, that's Sault Ste. Marie. I thoroughly enjoyed my time. And yeah, I had a head start in Kyle. <laughs> the, uh, the homecoming from, uh, or at least the, the departure from the Sioux, uh, led you to CHCH, where you reported for many years. And I'm sure mm -hmm. some of the best memories of your professional career came in the, those years. But uh, in that time, at least in the latter years, you were transitioning to the job. Uh, I think most people think you were on the planet or put on the planet to do, which was to oh. cover the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, do you agree with that firstly? And if you do, can you tell us the story? Tell us the story. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you find yourself holding the microphone with the Leafs logo on it? Well, very fortunate. And I had some people helping me out, but you're right about channel 11. You know, I got to anchor Monday to Friday news at six. Prior to that, I was doing weekend news. Dick Beto's called me, hired me $35 a newscast, six and 11 Saturday, six and 11 Sunday. Oh yeah. And 12 o'clock on Sunday. And I would get to do Wednesday night news as well, because he was working a show called overtime for channel 11's midweek hockey. Um, but eventually I got promoted, got the six, Dick got uh, moved just to the 11 solely. Uh, and I also got to do university football, university basketball, the game of the week. And, you know, your dad certainly remembers when Norm Marshall did it. And, and your dad and I are the same age and he was doing Queens football and everything else mm -hmm. when he was in school there. These are fabulous times. Uh, when we look back on it, it, it was our, NFL. It was our CFL. It, it led to the next level, but we never compared it to the next level. It was what it was. And I run into uh, graduates of our game of the week now who are all parents and their kids are growing up. And I, I've, I've run into them on the streets, often at uh, Rogers Center um, and, and getting a chance to talk. And one of the guys, a former quarterback out of Brampton who played at Western, said, tell my son how good I was because he doesn't believe me. And this was a third, this was a third string quarterback, good quarterback, but uh, he didn't start for the Mustangs. Um, but that was, that was absolutely fun. And then the Leafs, obviously, we had the games. Gord Stelic was brought on to be the host. And Phil LaChapelle, who's still at CBC right now, he's in charge of all their weekend amateur sports coverage. He went up to uh, one of our, our general manager and said, you know, Gord's great, but we also have a guy here that's more than capable of doing that and has been cutting his teeth on university sports and high school sports because we did all those events too. Mm -hmm. Why don't we give him a chance? So they did. So Gord and I co-hosted for two years. Uh, Gord was in studio the one year. 
I was out ringside and then Gord moved out and then I went in studio the following year CHCH was finished with uh, with hockey and I thought I was just back to what I was doing um, but then I got an opportunity from Molson Sports and Entertainment Scott Russell and Scott Oak and not in that order but both had not wanted the job they stayed with CBC this is mm -hmm. when the weekend and midweek rights switched up and Molson was producing the midweek games and Ron Harrison senior called me I was at the Canadian Open covering Tigers first trip to Canada and he, I, he phoned me and we pretty much in a few minutes got it done and that was September of 1998 uh, but I'd been doing games for CHCH prior to that but now this was going to be full time and you're never confident enough that you're going to be able to do the job. I remember telling my wife, I said, if I've still got this job in December, we're going to the closest church and we're going to light a candle. And, <laughs> that, you know, you, you just work hard, right? You just go day to day, broadcast to broadcast. And uh, lo and behold, you turn around like last summer, July 15th, when I decided to, to hang it up and just go, wow, where did that go? Like, where did that go? Um, you know, your age, you don't even think about it. You've got bills to pay and all this others, as do we, but it's not quite as expedient um, as it was back then. So it, I was very fortunate, very, very fortunate and got to work at Molestar. And then from there, uh, when they disbanded, uh, hired by Leafs TV and John Shannon and got to continue the run to where I was last year. So uh, that's it in a nutshell. It might be boring for a lot of people, but it was a lot of fun for me when now that I get a chance to look back on it. Well, you mentioned things that were both inside and outside your control in uh, becoming the Maple Leafs reporter. But uh, the one thing that was always in your control was your preparation as a young guy who was coming in and covering the Maple Leafs. Uh, that's what struck at least me the most. And I think that's what a lot of people appreciate about you because it didn't really matter if it was a rookie or an obscure prospect that was coming into a scrum uh, because you had a line of questioning for them, or at least some notes down uh, jotted down on a manila file folder, which uh, yeah. I think you you've uh, patented at this point. Um, but I wonder if that well, I had preparation aspect mm -hmm. was what you enjoyed about the, the job the most, learning more about players and in turn helping them feel more comfortable to share a little bit more about themselves. Am I right in identifying yeah. that? Bang on, right. And, and I, you know, the leaf room is one thing, but to do it in a visiting room amongst their reporters, um, like I, I'll tell you, I'll look back. It was a few years ago. It was Matthew Dumba's rookie season. And I remember going, we're going to do a, it's a five minute sit down with him. We'll pare it down to about three and a half minutes and finding an obscure article from a magazine in Calgary that talked about his grandmother and that grandmother adopting seven kids of different national, not nationalities, different ethnic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's just incredible. And of course, CBC picked up on it a year ago, but I'm, I'm going to brag. We did it like three or four years ago. And, this, you know, for him, he wasn't quite sure it's, you know, it's prior to their morning skate, but we got going and he got more comfortable and he was absolutely wonderful. And I think, you know, from our perspective, when you can come in and that athlete or person knows that you've put the time in uh, that they're going to give you a lot of their time. Patrick Waugh, this was after he in that near brawl with Bruce Boudreaux uh, about six or seven years ago, he's got a brutal head cold Colorado's coming in to play the Maple Leafs we get them for five minutes you know but I had the file folders 
And he was talking about his rookie season in Montreal in 86, where he lived in a basement apartment, ate nothing but Dunkin' Donuts, and drove a Volkswagen Beetle Bug. They won the Stanley Cup that year with him. And this is him as a rookie. And in the PR head for Colorado could be tough to deal with at times. He says, okay, Patrick, we've got to go. He's French Canadian. And Patrick says, no, this guy has done some work. Let's continue. Justin, we did a half an hour with, with Patrick Waugh mm -hmm. and we broke it off into three or four segments. It was just, but he was really good. And then when we were done, he gives me a little slap on the knee and he says, I enjoyed that. For me, you don't, you don't have to get paid uh, a cent to, to have that, but knowing that rolling up your, your sleeves and getting some work done this podcast, I'll tell you, man, there, you've got to peel the onion because you're going to sit down. And if I'm going to have you on for 40 to 45 minutes, just as you've done here, you want to make sure you've done your homework. You just can't say, I like peanut butter and jam. How about you? And, and, you know, a lot <laughs> will go with that, but it wears thin after a while. And mm -hmm. uh, I've got a bunch of stories like that, but you're right. Um, just, Ryan Dezingle, uh, talking about his father being diagnosed with cancer and Ohio State's on a trip to northern Michigan and he finds out on the bus that his dad's got cancer. And, uh, you know, it was devastating. He, he, you know, and we got into it. Um, but you've got to frame your questions right. You, you, yeah. you just can't, you know... And we don't always frame our questions right. It's not a, it's not an easy thing. You know what those maple leaf scrums are like, and I don't know if we'll ever get back to that again. Yeah. But to, to 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 get the right question out, and I go over it in my head, in my head, in my head, and then hopefully, if there's a break in the action in one of those scrums, you're able to get your question in, articulate it properly, and hope you get the proper response back. Oh boy, it's a real science. It's not always exact, but it's nice when you've done your homework and you're coming in with that weapon reloaded in that regard. Um, I've always said to young kids coming out of these broadcast schools, do your homework. And if you've got a chance to be in a Maple Leaf scrum, do not, or any scrum, do not waste that person's time with a lame question. Um, make sure you've done your homework. And everybody, especially in this day and age, you can just go on, on the internet. There's a lot of things in there that you can find out about people. You're still doing your homework, Henny. I'm seeing, uh, you know, notes, facts, and information from uh, your Twitter account about the Maple Leafs. Uh, but I assume that preparing for game day has changed a little bit for you. So yeah. how does Paul Hendricks sit down for a Leafs game now? And does it still involve candy? Uh, no, it doesn't involve candy. My wife's <laughs> kicked that out. Um, it, but I'm still a fan. And so instead of preparing for a show and doing what we used to do, I like to come up with, with what I call a nugget, just, just a piece of information. Some will generate interest. Uh, I just had one the other day on Zach Hyman, and I, I use the term, this is a guy who empties his lunch pail, and he does. It attracted almost 2,000 hits in terms of likes, whereas others might just, you know, 65, 70. It depends on the mood of Leafs Nation on that particular day. But yeah. I always try to be respectful of the other side. Uh, of the opposition, never going to chirp anybody from the other side. I will on occasion take on a fan who comes out with a ridiculous statement. Uh, and sometimes you've got to respect those statements. Other times you're getting zapped with something back, a nice little polite slap. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> but it's social media, right? And it's what it's about. It's like, I've got my, I've got social media on while I'm watching the game and it's nice. It's, it's just fun to watch and read and see responses to various things. But like, it's not, I don't have to come up with lineups or, or any of these other things. I can merely sort of look back as an observer and come up with an opinion that may be slightly different from what it was like when I was employed by the hockey club. I'm no longer employed by the hockey club. And I think I can, I'm not going to say I wasn't objective before, but I can be a little more subjective now. Well, I hope the Twizzlers come back at least for the playoffs, which the Leafs are headed to, uh, yeah. we think. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk about these Leafs a little bit. Uh, I know Monday night was a tough one, uh, a pretty epic third mm. period collapse. Aside from that, this has been a bit of a different team. I mean, recognizing this team might be a little bit tough because, you know, 11 wins from 16 games, really good to start the season. But the goals against being very low, third mm -hmm. period leads, with the exception of Monday night being protected, uh, one goal games falling in their favor. We've been waiting for this team to turn a corner for, for a long time. Uh, have they done that in your opinion? I think so. And I, I remember, you know, talking with on another podcast, I think it was late November, and I was just saying, the core of this team, and I mean the young core, this doesn't include John Tavares, includes the other guys. This is their fifth year together. They've had four runs at the postseason. They weren't maybe mentally ready to turn the corner, but now's the time. Now is the time, and, and, and you're seeing it. Uh, you know, I know William has been quiet, but he still has something like 12 or 13 points in 15 games, whatever it is. He's he's still effective, and, and he's going to all of a sudden boom and like a Cobra, just quick, quick, quick strikes. And, and, and he's a good hockey player. Uh, so I, I think this team is more than ready. I, the depth on defense was another key, um, bringing on those extra bodies. So if a player is banged up, it's not going to be the end of the world. They can just slide in somebody else. And given the sprint in this schedule and the amount of games and the amount of days played, you're going to need some depth, especially on the blue line. And the other thing is Freddie Anderson in a, in a contract year. I, I know he wasn't good Monday night. Well, I shouldn't say he wasn't good Monday night, but it wasn't great. Um, yeah. He's a pretty good goaltender. Uh, and and it, I think he's the key. He has to stay healthy. There's just no getting around it. I remember a start Montreal had about a decade ago, less than that. Uh, it was out of the world quick. And then Corey, Carey Price got hurt and everything went into the toilet. I'm not saying that would happen with this team, but they kind of need Freddie to stay healthy. They need a backup that can spell him off. Um, that's important. But I just think in a contract year, a better defense in front of them, a greater sense of team concept defense within their own blue line uh, and, and uh, the opportunity to get that new deal and, and all that goes with it. Uh, I think the Leafs are in pretty good shape. And again, that elite group up front, this is their fifth year together, Justin. They're just not out of the London Knights or, or the U.S. development program or what, you know, I mean, they've, they've been together. Yeah, and as you mentioned, invariably, it's going to fall on that young core and Freddie Anderson when it, when it matters the most. Uh, but we did see a focus this offseason uh, from Kyle Dubas and the management team to insulate the young guys a little bit more than perhaps they were uh, by point. adding Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons. Yeah. I know it would have been a thrill for you to cover both these guys. So mm -hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. What would your first question be to Joe Thornton? What would your first question be to Wayne Simmons? To Wayne. 
Well, I know for Wayne Simmons, I remember a sit down we did with him years ago in his rookie season, his first time into Toronto. He bought a bunch of tickets for his family. Next time around, it was just his dad and I think a brother and they paid for their seats. And the advice that Wayne got from his dad was save your money. You're not going to be a player forever. And uh, that really really struck a chord with me. And, you know, you want to be good. That's the family has helped get me to the National Hockey League. But his dad saying, you're not paying for any more tickets. That's the end of it. Now, this was in his rookie year. Things may have changed. He's got a little more money. For Joe Thornton, you know what? I think maybe something along the lines with the young stars that he's played with and how patience has to be has to be displayed with this group. Uh, I know Leafs Nation isn't that patient. They want immediate results, and I don't blame them. Uh, We haven't won a cup since 1967. But if you can look back on patience and how important it might have been with Joe Thornton, perhaps the Boston Bruins wouldn't have shipped him off to San Jose the way they did. Uh, A player who was a healthy scratch so often in his rookie year, that happens. But sometimes the best trades you make are the ones you don't make. You have patience and you stay the course. You're not going to fire Willie Nelson, Willie Nylander out of here uh, or, or dump on various other players because they haven't played well. Um, you know, Zach Hyman was scoffed at because he was playing with some of these top players, but I'll give Mike Babcock credit. He knew how much, how much trench work that winger was doing to help out the other two guys. Now we don't even think about it. So maybe with Joe Thornton, that looking back on his career, especially those early years in Boston, how important patience is with a young team, and namely the young superstars that he gets to play with now. They've been in the league now. It's their fifth season. But I think still patience has to be accorded. uh, And maybe it'd be something along those lines that he could recollect on his career before he got traded to San Jose and arguably – one of the top three passers of all time. I want to ask you about three individual Maple Leafs before we moved on to some miscellaneous rapid fire to close it out, just based on your career and your experience mm-hmm. with the Leafs. Uh, but if we're going to talk about players, I think we have to start with Austin Matthews, uh, who has brought another element to his oh. game again and again and again, and seems to be the very best goal scorer on the planet right now. Um, do you think that he is, or in your opinion, your experience covering the team, is he the greatest Leaf? in terms of talent, or at least on track to become the greatest Leaf that you had the opportunity to cover? On pure talent, without a doubt. I think prior to that, Matt Sundin. Matt's is on Legends Row. Dave Keon, who I grew up as my all-time favorite player, he's there, but we're talking different players. I, I think without a doubt that Austin, if he continues to trend the way he's going, He's headed to Legends Row. He's headed to the Hall of Fame. It's still way too soon. But what we've seen from him, his ability to to thin out, so to speak, without losing any of that strength of his core, his 200-foot game, the opportunity to come back and be as valuable at the one end as he is at the the obvious end. Patrice Bergeron might be a a role model to look to and follow to in terms of that complete 200-foot game. Austin has enough maturity, despite all that God-given talent, to realize he's got to work hard to get to where he wants to do. And we've seen a significant, significant rise in that regard for number 34 this season. If he stays healthy, it could be an MVP year. In terms of standouts, after Austin Matthews, Mm -hmm. it could be Justin Hall this season in terms of just, you know, what we expected coming in and how they're performing now. 
Uh, you've known Justin for a long time. Mm -hmm. What is it about him uh, that made this delayed establishment as a top four guy possible at his age and at, with his experience? Well, given that he's a defenseman, I think the most valuable time for him was his time spent in the American Hockey League. Uh, prior to coming to the Marlies, of course, he was in the Chicago system. Hawks gave up on him. Kyle Dubas knew better, brought him into Toronto and allowed him to cook and ferment and all those things that go with playing in the American Hockey League. And that culminated um, in a top defensive pairing position with the Marlies when they won the Calder in 2018. I know it was a step back with, with Babs. Uh, Babs not dressing him for 71 of 82 games. So to answer your question, what's the best part about Justin? I like his emotional resilience. That's, that's not a tangible that if you don't know him, you wouldn't see. You could guess about it, but he just stayed the course. He was always on the bubble, always close to being pushed aside, put on waivers. But A, he's a right-handed shot, and B, he can skate like the wind. All those, all those days in Lake Minnetonka and Minnesota have helped out tremendously. And he's a talented player. He's just a good player. But the Leafs have had defensemen before that, that they've gotten rid of early. Uh, you've got to stay the course with a group of these guys. Hope you roll the dice correctly and that eventually, like I, I think of Anton Strahlman. He was a Maple Leaf. Uh, and then eventually evolved into top D pairing in the Rangers as well with Tampa, a skilled, skilled hockey player. But the Leafs had him. They just gave up on him. Uh, there are others in that group as well. And so I think Kyle Dubas obviously had invested uh, a lot in Justin Hall uh, and in his strength of character. And of course, the obvious talents that go with it. But I just think his emotional resilience has been so strong to get through some of those tough years. Can you imagine sitting in the press box for 71 games, knowing that you're capable of playing down there, yet keeping your mouth shut and just going to practice every day and working hard? That's Justin Hall. I love the term emotional resilience, and I think it sort of uh, it works well for the Glaspa individual player that I want to ask you about, mm -hmm. and that's Travis Dermott. It's been a trying nice. season for him, uh, and I know that's a player you've developed an incredible rapport with over the yeah. seasons uh, that you covered him. Uh, so with that emotional resilience, does he have it to overcome You know the situation that he's been put in? Obviously, he's been back in the lineup, mm -hmm. um, but how do you think Travis Dermott is going to overcome uh, the challenge that he's facing here in his fourth season. I think just trying to, to stay in the lineup. I think all of us, you know, looking back, I remember Bob McGill and I looking ahead and seeing Derms as without at the least top four. Well, right now he's, he's the third pairing guy. And on some nights he's the seventh guy. And like an Anton Strawman, like a Justin Hall, He's got to continue to stay the course. He was a second round pick. He played on our national junior team. And, and I think he's emotionally resilient as well. I, there have got to be some tough nights going home. And plus, he's battled back from shoulder surgery. He's had some tough, tough injuries, but he yeah. continues to grow. Just, you know, Durham's December 22nd. I, I mean, I know his birthday. Um, and he's what, 23 now? Maybe maybe just turned 24. Um, he's, he, he's a guy you've invested in as well. He's mobile. Uh, as each year goes by, he's physically getting strong, thicker, stronger, uh, and he can move the puck. He can play within this leaf concept of, of, of defense. And he's going to get a chance to get more minutes. It's just with the number of games we're seeing in such a short time, 
players are going to get hurt. And if Travis is able to stay healthy, um, he's going to get a chance to make a big impact, hopefully with the Maple Leafs moving forward, not with another team, because I just think he's just too good. He's a bit of a, we've seen him in the room. He, he's just living the dream. Uh, he's got, yeah. you know, they, they're always taught, be good to the media. The media will be good to you. How, how great has, has Travis Dermott been with us? He's just so likable. And you get to meet his mom and dad and you get to know why. I remember his first game as a pro. It was in Albany for the Marlies. He just finished with uh, Erie. And uh, his dad, Jim, and a friend drove all the way from Newmarket, all the way down to Albany. And we're talking almost six hours Watch Derm's end the night, I think, minus one, minus two, maybe. It, you know, it wasn't a bad game, but Marley's didn't win, and he was on the dash end of a couple of goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they had a talk outside the arena afterwards. It was just, you know, the silhouettes, the, the one light, and there's Travis's dad and dad's friend talking about, you know, this game, and, and Derm's was 19. And, you know, a year later, he's with the Marley's, and a couple of years after that, he's, he's winning a Calder Cup uh, with them. And uh, you just like to see that progression. But again, I think of Anton Strahlman. Uh, hold on to some of these guys. Don't get rid of them before their prime, especially if they're defensemen and especially if they're good people. And that's Travis Dermott. Okay, I mentioned miscellaneous items to sort of close it. You can be as long or as short with these, uh, with these quick answers uh, uh, as you wish. Uh, but I just want to get to some, some favorites, some best, some mm-hmm. worst in your time with the Maple Leafs. So, First, what was your greatest thrill uh, on the job covering the Maple Leafs? Uh, I've said it before, but Matt Sundin on the ice, thousand point night. Point was taken away from him in the game. He came back and got it. And, and being selected, the game's first, second, and third stars, getting to interview him in front of that house and knowing how proud he was of his teammates, not of his accomplishments, of his teammates over the years, and being able to accomplish that feat at Air Canada Centre, then uh, that to me will always stand. The hair on my neck still stands up when I think about it. What was the most shocking day on the job in terms of, you know, whether it was a, a breaking news item or yeah. something that happened on the well, A couple. I mean, I can look at it selfishly, and we'll get into that. But the, the worst was being in New Jersey the night that Brendan... Burke was killed in Indiana. Leafs had lost to New Jersey. They always lose in New Jersey. Seeing Lou Lamarillo coming down the hallway, Lou is, you know, president of the Devils and GM and running into the office to see Ron Wilson. Ron coming out, face dour, and we're thinking, well, because the Leafs lost, but it was because Lou had just told him what had happened to Brendan that day. Ronnie carried the interview on as if nothing had happened. We get on our two buses, the media trainers bus, there's the Leaf players bus. We're heading to Newark International and Pat Park, then the director of media communications for the hockey club texted all of us to tell us what had happened that day. That's a night I'm never going to forget. And and seeing Brian address us in St. Louis just before the Vancouver Olympics for the first time, my, my heart just broke and you know it was the anniversary 10-year anniversary not too long ago and I just sent Brian a quick text prayers with you and your family always thinking of you on this day um that that to me was the worst thing I I think maybe the most embarrassing humiliating thing was um when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. With Andrew Raycroft after a game where he'd won his eighth game, matching his season victory totals from the year before, and, and you know, center ice and... I think it was Sportsnet, but just saying, hey, what a difference a year makes healthy body, mind, and, and what you're able to accomplish and, and how far you've come in such a short time after such a difficult year. And he said, well, thanks for bringing that up again. And he skates off the ice and I never brought it up to him before. And I was just trying to applaud, like, look what you've done. I don't, he may have misinterpreted, uh, Leafs didn't skate the next day. Goalie coach called me to apologize on his behalf. I said, I'm going to talk with Razor. And I, we spoke two days later. It was a Wednesday at practice. I said, I, did you have any idea? I said, first of all, what were you doing? And he says, ah, I, I sort of got out of hand. Sorry, I misunderstood and blah, blah, blah. And, and that was that. But I still got sort of tapped on the shoulder from now and then from people that remember that. But could you imagine? And Mark Askin, our producer in my ear going, what was that all about? And all I could do was not say anything. Just watch him skate off disentangle my you know my pack and hand it to our our floor people on the ice and walk off but boy I was like 2004 or 5 I'm trying to think but I was a fairly humiliating time but hey you know what Justin in this business it's like running through a barnyard a lot of times and every now and then you're going to end up with some cow shit on your boots and that was one of those nights uh, that's that's a good quote um what was your favorite era to cover the team I guess you could go by you know, coaches, you could go by general managers, but uh, if you could sort of encapsulate that, the favorite era uh, yeah. as covering the, the Leafs. I, I loved all the coaches, really. Uh, and I, you know, there was others perceived by other members of the media that they didn't like, like Ron Wilson. I loved Ron. Paul Maurice was fantastic. Pat Burns, uh, I, they were all good, even though I was frightened to death of Burnsy. Uh, and there was no reason for that, but I was. Um, Pat Quinn was the best. Uh, that, that, team of that era um you know you think of the number i think there was six or seven hall of famers on that team but you go around that dressing room you got guys like steve thomas you know joe newendike gary roberts matt sundin ty domi shane corson darcy tucker uh, i'm missing some brian mccabe thomas caberley yeah. that was a good hockey and in nets curtis joseph that was a really good hockey club. And when Curtis breaks the wrist and is gone for six weeks, Corey Schwab comes in and plays above 500 hockey as at least managed to tread water until Cujo was able to come back. Um, that, you know, which brings to mind now, at least back of goaltending, that has to be solid too in the event that Freddie ever gets hurt. But I, I would think the Pat Quinn era and the teams in the early 2000s. And, and I know before Pat was relieved of his duties, we were in Philadelphia late one uh, regular season game. I'd come in from a baseball game and he was having a, a, a drink at the bar and Rob Burling and I, cameraman, we just went in 
gave Pat a space. And he said, hey, come on down. I'll buy you a drink. And he let us know then that he was gone and that they were going to be bringing in Paul Maurice. And he felt it wasn't deserved that he'd done very well. And he had. Team was always in the playoffs when he coached here. Two conference finals. Um, and that broke his heart. And so we knew about that ooh, a good 10 days before it happened. And I didn't say anything. I mean, Pat's confidence. Um, but he was a man I, I truly loved to, to work alongside. He was just outstanding with us. Always great with stories. And you get to meet his mom and dad, who I did in my time in Hamilton. They danced with a dance troupe called the Jared Twelve Follies. And our noon show was live on location. Several occasions were with the Geritol Follies to the point where when Pat started with a, the Leafs in the fall of 98 training camp at Cops Coliseum, first thing he said to me is, my mother told me this morning that I was to be nice to Mr. Hendrick, and Pat always was. Did you have a favorite player to cover? It's tough. I liked a bunch for a whole bunch of different reasons. Alan McCauley, class. Luke Shen, just absolute class. Gary Volk, a pleasure to talk to. Tom Fitzgerald, never minced words, always told you it like it was. Steve Thomas, like that. Those are names that jump out all the time. For, for fun, Wade Belak might have been the funniest guy. Jeff O'Neill's quite hilarious. Wade Belak in that company as well. Um, you know, rest in peace, Wade. None of us, I don't think, had any idea uh, what he was going through. Uh, he carried it off well, but he had such a dry sense of humor. Uh, I'll truly, I'll truly miss Wade, and and he's a part of that group uh, amongst some of the other names I've mentioned. Is there a former Maple Leaf playing on another team now that you find yourself cheering for the most? Yeah, there's several. Uh, when St. Louis won the Stanley Cup, I was flag waving for Tyler Bozak and and Carl Gunnarsson. There's two really good people. Like you just can't help but like them uh, the Leafs aren't able to win the cup because I can say this I'm honest I'm a Leaf fan I've been since 1966 um, but if if they can't win it I'd love to see Nazem Kadri get a chance to carry that cup another classy guy good good guy brought up right and always as tough as things ever got for the hockey club he always had time and a good quote for all of us in the media and was he'd be there post-practice as you know until, hey, is this everybody done? Does anybody need me? Take a stuff and walk out. Uh, not everybody, of course, wants to do that, but yeah. but he certainly did. Classy, classy guy. I had a feeling you might be going for Naz. Uh, being the Leafs reporter for such a long time, it, it connected you with so many legendary members of the team's alumni. Players, mm -hmm. I assume, that you grew up idolizing. And you mentioned, you know, running into some uh, at the market when you were a young guy. Um, but a part of that job was meeting legend after legend after legend. Uh, did you have that one clear idol? Was it, you know, Keon from way back? Uh, were you ever left starstruck on the job uh, when you were working for the Maple Leafs? Yeah, and we can leave it right at Dave Keon. I mean, he he's he's the guy. And, mm -hmm. and to be able to talk about our days in Rand and I was the altar boy at his father's funeral. My Myself and Ted Brewer, I think we're in grade seven. Monsignor Caulfield knocks on the door and just looks in. Uh, Mr. Hendrick and Brewer, I'm going to need you down at the parish in 45 minutes. So we went, yeah, because we got selected as senior altar boys to do that funeral. The entire Leaf team was there. Uh, it was a cold, cold January day. If I, It was bitterly cold. We're talking 30 minus 30 cold. But to go into that packed church 
with the whole hockey team there for Dave Sr., who I'd served Monday to Friday Mass at 8 a.m. for a whole bunch of years. They were always there, very religious people. Um, that to me is something I'm always going to remember. And I got $5 for it. I remember telling Dave, you know, normally you get a buck for, for a wedding and, and 50 cents for a funeral. Well, I got five bucks for, for Mr. Keon's funeral. And at five cents a package hockey cards, I was flush. I was a hundred packets of, of hockey cards that I hadn't able to trade and a lot of bad powdered gum that I got to chew. So, uh, and, and, and plus just meeting Dave back then, and even now when I'm with Dave and, you know, I haven't talked with Dave in a while yet, but I'm still starstruck. Uh, it just goes back to, you know, as a kid, you never, you never lose that uh, a, a adoring sort of situation. And even though Dave is not as sort of tall as he once was, and he doesn't have that famous black hair. Um, he's Dave Keon from Murdoch Avenue in Naranda, Quebec, and my all-time favorite player. Uh, last thing, and admittedly, this is a little self-indulgent, but it is topical after what happened Monday night with the uh, the five goal blown, or the yeah. four, the five one, sorry, mm -hmm. blown lead. But I swore off my fandom of the Toronto Maple Leafs one night as a young guy when the Leafs blew a five nothing lead in 15 minutes to the St. Louis Blues, losing I just in overtime. Tweeted that, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if, if you remember anything from oh, that night. Do you have a story from that night. Uh, can you help me ease the pain that still lingers from one of the most traumatic sports watching experiences of my life when I was, I think, about nine years old? Yeah, I'll never forget it. I was, our, our mic drop was, you know, where the St. Louis benches just look off from your bench perspective to the right back corner. And, you know, five tie scores to make it five nothing early, early in the third period. And, and Ty's already scored two goals, Mark Askins in my ear, and just saying, well, be prepared. We'll talk to Ty post-game, quick post-game, because we have to head out to the charter. We were flying to Long Island that night. Then I think Pronger scored. Um, anyway, eventually, I remember it, it was Jochen Hesch who scored 18 seconds into overtime. I had to look it up because I, I knew it was Jochen Hesch. I didn't know how quick it was. And that was 6-5. And as it went on, 5-1, 5-2. And in Monday night, when Nick Paul, who, I'm going to name drop here. A good friend of my daughter Caroline's. He might he, he played football with my son Mike and played paperweight hockey and poor credit against Michael as well. Nick's just a great, great guy. If anybody had to score against Toronto, I'm never sad when it's Nick because I know how hard he's worked to get himself in a position to where he's at right now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. It, I'm trying to think where I was going with the story because I'm going. Oh, in terms of the comeback, when that made it five two. I, I had to say something to my wife. She couldn't care less, but she's it's just, she and I here, right? <laughs> I was hoping you would be over, but I just said, I don't like the looks of this. And you could tell in the Montreal game prior to, even though Toronto was up one, nothing, I said, there's no way Leafs are going to win this game. And when Nick Paul scored that goal to make it five, two, I had a, a, a bad feeling. It was much like when, uh, you know, Nathan Horton scored in 2013 to make it four, two in game seven in Boston. I remember yeah. looking over, there were Drager. Who are the three of them? They, they were all getting ready to do the, the post-game show and they were going to talk about Nick Borshevsky and whatnot. And I said, guys, don't, I'm telling you, I've seen this team too much too often this year. Reimer's on his stomach a lot. I just don't have a good feeling. And sure enough, it borne itself out and Leafs lost that night. And I, they lost Saturday. I, you know, 5-2, I, I just... I didn't feel good about it. Nine seconds left. You don't give up that kind of goal. But sometimes I think teams have to go through these little 
these cycles uh, because they were winning a lot of games because they worked hard, but they had a few breaks go their way as well. And, and I think this is good to get themselves reset, recycled, flush that out and build on what has been an 11 win season to date. Um, don't forget what happened, but don't dwell on it too much because this is just too good a hockey team. And, and I think they're going to be more than capable uh, of moving forward and winning the majority of those next games, providing Freddie stays healthy. Well, if the low point of the season is just, you know, dropping one point to what figures to be a non-playoff team, I think the Maple Leafs will be in decent shape. Uh, Henny, this was awesome. Uh, yeah. I know uh, reading about your departure from the Maple Leafs uh, before they reconvened in the summer, that there was a possibility of you doing some special product pro, some special projects, yeah. projects yeah. with the Leafs. Excuse me. Uh, I imagine COVID-19 has sort of continued to potentially complicate that. But I have mm -hmm. to ask, is there anything in the works? Because uh, I know Leaf fans would surely love to see it. No, nothing as far as I know. But uh, in terms of projects, I'm, I'm open for anything. I, I'm going to toot my horn about this, uh, this podcast. Uh, they're not easy to do. And uh, they're a lot of work. And but we've had some great guests like Brian Burke, uh, Ken Dryden, Ian Turnbull, Jim McKenney. Uh, Tyler Bozak, you know, Luke Shen, all these guys, they've all got great stories to tell. And um, I just say, give it a listen. Uh, if you've got time, whether it's going out for a walk or you're driving up north to Muskoka or wherever you're going, fire it on um, because the storytelling's good. And, and you know what, Justin, well done with this. I know what it's like to be on that side of the microphone. And, you know, I'm starting to lose my voice. And a lot of the guys I've talked to, like Tucker and whatnot, they were losing their voice too, because you got to do a lot of talking, right? Um, but you get excited and passionate about something, but you've done your homework. Uh, well done. And it's a privilege and honor to know that you've done that homework on my behalf. And uh, thanks for that. Well, you can't have a conversation with Paul Hendrick and not do your homework because you will get exposed very quickly. No manila folders for me uh, no. because I got, a, I got a, a Word document in front of me and that's helping <laughs> me out. Uh, but I definitely appreciate it, Paul. Uh, it, was a, it was a blast catching up with you. Uh, and you have set the standard at Maple Leafs games, Maple Leafs practices, Maple Leafs press conferences, and, and your legacy will continue to be carried out because you've had such an incredible influence uh, in those rooms. So uh, I thank you for being a guy who was very welcoming to me when I first uh, got into the room in mm. Toronto. Uh, and I know that a lot of people hold that same appreciation. Well, thank you. And, you know, to some of the names you've worked with, like Sarah Jenkins and uh, a bunch of other names that aren't necessarily in those scrums anymore. I miss all of you people. And uh, the next time uh, it'll be red licorice. It's got to be red licorice. That's the only <laughs> uh, thing. That sounds good. Uh, we look forward to those special projects. We look forward to continue listening Thanks. to your podcast. Thank you again, Paul. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.